Welcome to the Real Estate Explainer podcast, where we talk about anything and everything real estate. I'm your host, Brian Kixula. Today, we have Travis Oglesby on the podcast, and we'll be talking about subject to mortgage. Hey, Travis, just wanted to kick things off and say thank you for joining the podcast. I'm super excited to have you on today talking about subject to mortgage. This is one of those topics that I've heard about for decades, but never really dove into because I was always on the, the conventional finance side of things. And, you know, I've seen what you've done over the last couple of years, the way that you structure transactions and buy properties. So I just thought it would be great to have you on and really talk about subject to mortgage. So I'll let you go ahead and just jump in and, and introduce yourself. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for having me. It's always fun getting to like get on these things and, you know, hang out with guys you work with every day. I mean, you've uh, you've kept a couple bucks in my bank account that I don't think uh, I could have done without you. But anyway, Thank yeah, you. I mean, I'm, I'm Travis Oglesby. I live in Southern Illinois. My business is Tabby's Properties and that's my real estate investment company. And we buy, you know, single family homes throughout really the Southeast. So Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Northern Alabama. And we buy them subject to that's a lot of our, you know, a lot of our focus is really cash flow driven, probably buy anywhere. It really depends on the month, the year, kind of whatever, um, you know, our mission and vision is for that particular year. But we'll buy anywhere from 60 to 90 homes a year. And we do it through, you know, we have our in-house marketing team that does it. And our focus is creative finance. And that's kind of, I've been in this space for seven years and really put a focus on the creative side, which is subject to or seller finance or some now, some later or whatever everybody likes to refer to. And let's kind of, let's kind of define that subject to, I think, I think not a lot of people understand what it means to buy a property subject to. So could you break that down? What is subject to a mortgage mean? So buying a home subject to an existing mortgage, like you can Google and get some great definitions um, on it. But guys, it, it simply means you're just taking over somebody's mortgage payments. And so the deed goes into your name, the debt stays in the seller's name. It's really best case scenario um, for an investor. And so what it simply means is you would buy a house just like you normally would, only you're not buying it with cash or with your own money or with private money. You are simply maybe giving that seller some walkaway money. Maybe you're not giving them anything. You're just simply catching up the mortgage because it's probably in arrears. And then the mortgage stays in their name and the deed goes into the investors. And then you own the home. So you're That's not calling the stuff. bank. Let's just be clear on that. You're not calling the bank. You're not taking a, a loan application. You're not assuming somebody's mortgage. You're literally taking over their mortgage payment. You're bringing them uh, back to current. Let's say they're three months in arrears. The bank is going to foreclose on them at some point. You're stepping in and saying, hey, I'll bring your mortgage payments current. I'll take over the mortgage and I'll give you a bit of walkaway money to sell the property essentially. Yeah. But you're purchasing the property subject to the existing mortgage. That is exactly correct. Yep. And really it, it's just a nice way to I mean really it builds a lot of cash flow and that's really why I do it, but in all actuality it helps a ton of like homeowners that couldn't sell their home to an investor because it doesn't meet the 70% ARV uh, minus repair rule or 50% or 60% or wherever wholesalers and flippers like to buy it at. We can really buy it 
up to real. I mean, we can. I've bought them up to a hundred percent. It's not really necessary to buy them up to a hundred percent because there's so much equity in homes today. But it's just a way that you can help sellers that everybody else can't help. And so it's a neat way to still be able to make quite a bit of money off of doing them. And I'll explain what that looks like. But it's just a it's a really good way that all of the wholesalers' dead leads um, you can easily convert them uh, and probably make more than uh, a wholesaler could anyway. So you're having real conversations with clients that are uh, looking at losing their properties because they're behind in the mortgage payments. You're bringing them current and offering them money to walk away. I'm sure that some of our listen listeners are going to say, you know, these deals just aren't out there. I'll let you know. I've worked with Travis for a couple of years now, I think three years, and I've watched them buy property month after month doing this exact strategy. And it's amazing. We were on a, a call with his team about a week ago, and he actually closed on a property just before the call. Pretty amazing. So that was uh, neat to see in uh, real time. What are the pros of doing a, a subject to mortgage? The pros, I'll speak to the pros like for the investor side of things, and then we can probably touch on the cons too. But the pros for us are, think about over the last 20, 22, maybe 23 years now, we've had sub 5% interest rates. Today, they're at six, seven, eight, nine, you know, whatever the Fed's doing today following the 10-year treasury. And so it enables us to still be able to buy homes at 3 and 4% debt. And so really, if you think of that from the simplest standpoint, like I just acquire, I just acquire debt at three and four percent, and I wrap the debt, which is, means I just sell the homeowner financing at nine ten percent, and so we just make an arbitrage spread on um, that low interest rate debt. So really, it's a way that, like, think about if somebody went and bought a a, a rental property today, they had to put twenty percent down, and they probably got a eight nine and a half percent interest rate. So for me, I could go buy a home sub two. And I could probably give the seller between 2500 and 10K down to walk away. They'd be ecstatic about it. And I would get a 2.5% rate, 3% rate, 4% rate. So that's one huge pro um, that we can do there. So you just said a wrap mortgage. Those were kind of two different pieces that you really talked about. So it's acquiring the property, giving the seller walkaway money, taking on an existing mortgage that has reduced interest rate. And then when you turn and sell that property, you're then financing the new buyer. Correct. Is that correct? Is that what I'm hearing? That is. So then you're you're creating another note on that same transaction. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty powerful. It is, man. And it's really cool to do it at the end of the day. Cause yes, you're gonna make a lot of money. Like, and I'll touch on another pro here too. Like, that's really cool. But inside of Tabby's, like we have, you know, we just call it a home ownership program. So imagine everybody who cannot get bank financing, which is 70% 70% of the pop, which is most of the population, cannot get bank financing. We are able to tell people yes who a bank says no to. And so it really means a lot to our sellers to be able to own a home because a lot of a lot of Americans, eh, I don't know if this is true or not, but whenever we last looked it up, a lot of people hold their wealth inside their home over their lifetime. And so within 30 years from they buy a home when they're 30, so when they're 60, they now own a home that's free and clear. It's appreciated in value. It's worth two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars um, that it's increased through time. And so we're able to still give people the opportunity of having that American dream of home ownership and not worrying about rent, not worrying about the landlord doing what they want. And we set the mortgage rates, what the rental rates would be for the area. And so instead of renting a home, you can simply own a home with us. All right. So let's let's look at that from a numbers point of view. So you're 
let's say acquiring a property that's got a, I don't know, let's say a hundred thousand dollar mortgage on it. Let's call their PI payment at, I don't know, what would you call it? About $500 on that hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Let's say current market rents are $1,300. What you're saying is then you take that property and you sell it to somebody else and you finance the difference to them. So you're paying the, you're collecting the payment, paying the existing mortgage on it. And then you're also keeping, let's call it $800 on the note that you gave them for the rest of the the property. Yeah, exactly. Now it's probably more like five or 600 by the time you include taxes and insurance, if you're trying to land the entire payment Correct. around so $1,300 minus 300, so 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. That sounds spot yep. on. And so, and another pro, like, I mean, there's, a, there's quite a few pros, but we probably need to touch on like some of the reasons why people are going to say like, oh, you can't do it. Cause that's usually the, yeah, so the big that's, thing. That's the next big but, topic is, you know, what are the, the big cons when it comes to subject to mortgages? And I'll tell you from a conventional lender standpoint, it's the due on sale clause. Hey, you got to record that mortgage or that property into your name as an investor you're going to get a phone call from the bank in 90 days, 30 days, as soon as they figure it out. That's what I would say as a lender or a, let's say a conservative, I don't know, realtor, realtor in the market. So the con that pops into my mind right away is number one is you're going to get that loan call due immediately. Number two is how much equity are you really getting in these properties? So can you address those two big ones that I see, you know, yeah. right up front? Yeah, absolutely. And we won't be able to cover everything about the due on sale clause. But the one thing, there's a lot of opinions out there on the due on sale clause. And the 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 cool thing about the opinions are a lot of them are correct. Um, and I'll address like what those opinions are. And so because it's a big, scary thing that is like keeps most people out of the creative space. And which, which is, I guess, great for us, but bad for sellers. And so, because they would have the opportunity to sell to them. But the thing about the do on sale clause, in my opinion, that I tell all of my apprentices is it will happen to you. No question. It will happen to you. You just have to know what to do about it. And so, and there's certain steps that we take inside of the apprenticeship to be able to handle the do on sale clause. Because I don't make it to where, because if somebody comes to me and they're like, hey, I want to do this, but I'm afraid of the do one sale, then it's, you know, it's not a fit for what we're trying to do because it's going to happen. It is the scary thing. It's like whenever we're all investing in the market and we're like, oh, it's, this market's never going to go down. Of course it's going to go down. Correct. It's just, we have to know what to do. So I think, I think that's so key is to identify, you know, it's not to, you know, to, to, you know, turn your head or the blind eye to, what is a real possibility when you're structuring deals with creative financing? You really have to understand that this is going to happen. It's not not going to happen. It could happen on your first transaction or it could happen on your 20th transaction, but down the road, somebody's going to call the note. So it's planning ahead for that eventual you know, note that you're going to have to refinance or pay off. And what is the solution in that scenario when when you do get that call. Yeah, there's things you can do outside of the refinance and selling the home and paying it off or anything like that. You can still keep it. You can just transfer the deed back in the seller's name, sign a contract for deed with them and keep the immediate wrap in place. So you can never lose that interest rate. Like there's very simple ways to keep that interest rate in place without refinancing. But the the one fail safe that you can always do is just refinance the property. You're probably not going to cash flow anything now. 
So, so be it. One out of 20 got busted um, or called. It's not really even busted. One out of 20 got called. And so now you just refinance that one and you hold that one in your portfolio. Now, if you were with us, I mean, we will we will get that loan to um, stay in place because of the like three scenarios that we have that we can take them through to keep that debt in place in, in the seller's name. But the thing about the do one sale and this clause, is not a this is not something that happens overnight. Like they make a phone call and the next day you've got to pay off this mortgage. My guess is you've got time to work this scenario through. It's not, they're not calling it today. Is that correct? Or am I wrong? Yeah. I mean, you'll have 90, 120 days. I mean, it really depends on the bank, the size of the bank. And the thing about it too, is this is kind of like lightning striking a little bit. I mean, I, I don't know how many I've, I've probably done. I've probably only done a couple hundred sub two, which I guess is a few. I've done a couple hundred sub twos now, and I've only had three of them get called. And so it's right. really not, it's definitely the exception, not the rule. And you can't let the exception keep you out of the game. So, and you know, that 90 to 120 days before you're going to lose the property, 120 days to figure things out. So you definitely have time to, to get everything dialed in. The yeah. next, or the next reach con out to that resources. I see. Yeah. Yeah, reach out to your resources. The next con was, you know, it's really buying a property that has low equity. You know, you're you're picking up properties. You said at the beginning of the call where an investor is not doing the deal. That's why they didn't sell the property already. You know, and the reason the investor is not doing the deal is because they need to make a certain spread on it after they improve the property to get it to, you know, they're going to have to rehab it before they sell it. So how do you work around that, uh, you know, that negative or that con when it comes to subject to mortgages? Yeah. Uh, you know, at this point, I don't really buy anything that uh, has low equity. Um, we just kind of, All right. you, ca- you kind of get to, I would say over time, you know, as your business grows, you can be a little bit pickier on how you buy them, um, when you buy them, who you say yes to, who you say no to. But um, that, that wasn't how it always was. But let's say you bought a house and it only had 10% equity in it. So you bought it at 90% ARV. Let's just assume it's got no repairs for easy math. And so the big thing that we do whenever we buy a home is we sell the house at the ARV times 1.1. So basically adding 10% to it minus 50% repairs. Okay. So we add 10% to it because we provide a product that nobody else can, which supply and demand dictates where things can be sold at. A lot of my peers sell them at 15% premiums. We only do 10 and we sell them at, we only factor in 50% of the repairs because most of our buyers look at the homes and say, this is what materials would cost me, not what labor would cost me. And so that's why we factor it in at 50%. And we have rarely, it's, it's really enjoyable selling a homeowner financing because it's, ironic how easy it can be. I'd like to thank today's sponsor, U.S. Tax Advisors Group, a cost segregation company. To get a free estimate on a cost segregation study, log on to realestateexplainer.com and click the cost segregation link at the top of the page. Yeah, so you just laid out the math perfectly if you were to go into a low equity property, how you could you know, immediately pick up equity in the property because you're purchasing at under 10% of market value and then you're selling it at a 10% premium or a little less than a 10% premium to a buyer who is motivated to buy because they can't purchase using traditional financing for whatever reason it is. So you're not taking advantage of either party in the scenario. You're helping the seller 
who needs to get out of the property because another investor won't come and buy that property. They can't sell it on the MLS because it's not going to generate the proceeds that it needs to. So their only option as a seller is to foreclose on that property. And then you're taking a buyer and you're putting them to you're putting them into a property that they could live in and own. You're not not selling it to them. If the bank does call the note due, you could refinance it. Are you you're refinancing in your name and you're carrying the loan for them, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. So you're you're still acting as the bank. So that's really the key in this, is it's becoming the bank. So you're becoming the bank in this scenario. Yeah. I mean, tallest building in every city is always a bank. And so I think it's always been my biggest goal has always been like creating cash flow. And so this has been the best way I've ever seen to create real cash flow. I mean, I have rental properties. Yes, they're fine. I guess they're just more for our kids than anything. But when you have, when an air conditioner breaks, you don't call Wells Fargo and ask them to fix it. You have to fix it yourself since you own the home. Now, when one of my tenants air conditioner breaks, I do have to pay for that. And so that's been one of my most enjoyable things about creative finances. I have created this company that has a recurring revenue model. And so I have a predictable income that comes in, tells me what I can do with the rest of my company. Because we still buy home 50 cents on the dollar, 40 cents. You know, we still, I'm a heavy flipper. We flip 30, 40 homes a year. And so, and we do that to accelerate our cash flow. And so while I would always prefer to buy a home extremely deep and go and flip it and, you know, make a bunch of money on it, I have fallen in love with taking all of the money from the flipping and allowing it to accelerate our cash flow growth. Because there's nothing insane about what we do. Like it is a very simple model. We run outbound marketing that provides inbound leads. We're I would I pride ourselves on how good we are at buying homes. I was taught very well uh, by my mentor on how to follow it, how to pitch, not sell, how to hold the frame how to walk a seller down it, how to say exactly what to say at exactly the right time and never deviate from the script and just handle the sell, handle the seller like a professional would, close the deal, sell it retail or, or wrap it. Our goal internally, so we have a revenue goal every month. We try to make at least 150,000 net from the flipping. But then my biggest goal is 1,500 in cash flow growth every month. And that's net cash flow. So every month, and I that's want not our from company. rental properties. Just to clarify or restate what you just said, this isn't from creating rental properties. This is from creating notes. Correct. So you're creating notes on the properties that you're selling. Correct. So fifteen hundred dollars a month of recurring revenue on these notes. Yeah. So that's you know that's legacy wealth. That's you know you're really generating that passive income stream, which is which is super powerful and. That was going to be one of my next questions or my very next questions was, how do you find these deals? How do you find an individual that, you know, is looking or they're not looking for it? And I can't imagine anybody's raising their hand out there, but how do you find a a seller who has a mortgage that's, let's say in arrears that you could help sell the property? How would you find that individual? Yeah. I mean, for, for real estate investors, you can find these guys just through any of your typical marketing. Like if you're texting, cool. If you're doing direct mail, cool. If you're doing inbound, cold calling, what, whatever it might be, um, you can easily find these people. It's really just the script work. So for us internally, what I do, I'm an only PPC model. 
So I prefer low um, volume, high quality inbound leads. And we can kind of do that now. We're fortunate enough to be able to pay to play in the PPC world because I have this reoccurring revenue. And so, and that's not, that's not absolutely needed, but it's very helpful for me and brings me a lot of peace of mind. And so we run PPC, get inbound. We have a triage script that we walk everybody to, and then we set it up for what uh, we call the perfect presentation, where we walk the seller through every single thing that we need them to, walk them all the way down to what would they like to take, what's the lease you would take, what's your walk away. We don't talk about the price of the home. We talk about what the check is they're getting at closing. And then it's it's a very simple conversation towards the end as to where you have, you know, there's two ways we buy homes. And this is on a low equity deal or a pre-foreclosure. And most people understand if you can't get the house low enough that, hey, this this home, it's not a good use of my, it's not a good return on my money to buy your house. But there's two ways that we buy homes. The first is with cash, and it doesn't sound like you're interested in that. The second is we set up to take your payments over and the house sells. And then we simply stop, wait on their questions. There's eight simple objections that they ask every single time. And as long as you can answer them with confidence, we haven't really had a problem especially if there's motivation. All right. you're doing is looking for a motivated seller. If you find a motivated and seller, they're probably going to do what they want. So you are giving them the option. So, you know, if you want to sell the property today, here's what the cash price is, or here's the option of me to take over the the payment. So you are giving them yeah. the option, which is I'd great. always rather buy a house at 50 cents on the dollar. Always. Absolutely. You know, I would prefer to never buy a house again, uh, sub two, if that meant I was buying everything at 40, 50 cents on the dollar. But the reality is um, that's not always the case in our world. And so this is a, this is a fun way to be able to uh, take care of that. And let, let me add this one other like pro in here is that whenever we buy a home sub two, let's say we took over somebody's mortgage uh, sub two. So we bought a sub two, gave the seller five grand. So whenever I sell a house, we get paid three ways. And this is why I've always kind of said, because I was a wholesaler. This is why I've always said wholesalers are the best at what they do, but they are the least paid. And so, and that's a pin, that's an opinion, right? But wholesalers are the best at what they do. They're the least paid. I don't know a single wealthy wholesaler unless he's putting his money somewhere else. I don't know a single wealthy flipper unless he is putting his money into some other form of holding an asset. But I know a ton of wealthy note guys. And so whenever we buy a home, sub two, gave the seller five grand, seven grand, whatever, two grand to walk away. Whenever I sell that home owner financing, I'm probably going to get 15, 20, 25,000 or more. I don't, I don't know, but our average is like around 15, 20 today as a down payment. So 15 to 20,000 down. So right there, we just made, uh, who knows, five to 10 grand from a down payment. So we got paid once already, which 10 grand is a typical wholesale. And let me, let me unpack that real quick, because I think that's an important point is the way that you made the money is your walkway money that you provided to the seller was $5,000. On the sales side of it, they're giving you 15 to $20,000. So the difference is your the income that you're making right off the bat. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And that's just in that example, right? Sometimes I give sellers 20 grand to walk away if it's a phenomenal deal and then I'll go get a $20,000 sure. down payment. I'm Every not in different. it for anything. And so, but if I gave a seller 20 grand or five grand down, got a $15,000 down payment, boom, you made 10 grand up front when you sold it 30 days after you bought it. Then you sold it at a premium. Okay. So you bought a house for 100,000. I probably sold it at at least 160, 170. So I have a $50,000 equity spread in there. I sold it at 10%. There's other things that I could really touch on in there. So that's the second way you get paid, right? Because that's a future pop that you're going to get in a big pop. Third way you get paid 
is that you're probably making, I won't let my apprentices do a deal unless it's a, a 0%, a 0% interest deal, unless they're making a minimum of 500 bucks. And so then the third way you get paid is through your cash flow. So you get 500 bucks a month until they cash out that loan. And at that time you're getting 50, $60,000 paydays. So you got paid three ways on one transaction, much better than just making not getting five it or all up grand. front. This is kind of that slow, uh, slow burn. It's going to take a while for you to get everything. Mm-hmm. Typically, how long does it take a, uh, a new buyer to acquire the property from you? Are you holding into these properties yeah, for you know, 24 months, 36 months? Whenever I started, I was always told five to seven years. And a lot of mine, it, there's still quite a few that are in place, but I've had so many of them cash out by year two. They're cashing out. And so, which is kind of where you've came into play um, a lot is we've had a, a surplus of excess income that we've had to try to offset through running costs. Happy to cost help. <laughs> Yeah. So that's been um, super helpful. But yeah, I mean, it's the best thing in the world whenever these things cash out in two or three years, because while we've talked a lot about low equity deals, like guys, most of the time we're not doing low equity deals. Most of the time our equity spreads are 50, 75, 110,000 uh, is a very, very common uh, equity spread for us over six figures. And so when that cashes out, that's a pure payday in the future. And there's so many things you can do when you have this note equity. You can trade notes, you can um, swap notes for depreciation for loss purposes and still regain. There's so many understanding sub two, in my opinion, is like the 101 of that space. And so, and you know, that's so cool because that's an entire secondary market of notes. So you don't even have to be the one to originate these transactions. You could come in and find uh, someone who owns the note on a property and go and buy that note. You may pay a little bit of a premium on it, but now you've invested in real estate by buying the note. So what a cool thing. So I mean, we hypothecate money all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So if you needed to cash out because you're trying to get into a RV park or a mobile home community in Texas, then you could sell a couple of your notes, come up with a couple hundred thousand dollars, and you've got the down payment on a much larger asset. So that's a, that's a really cool uh, transition from just buying the property. And it's also, I mean, it's just such a neat thing to, when you look at creative financing and real estate, I think a lot of people just think that, hey, it does not exist. This is not something that's out there anymore. And, you know, it's not a myth. You know, like I said earlier in the podcast, you know, I've every single month we're working on deals together and they're on properties that you're acquiring this exact method. So it's uh, it's, yeah. it's really and, cool. And to see. I encourage people to just to learn it, because if if we went head to head with and, you know, I don't buy a lot of houses anymore. So my, you know, my team does the buying and stuff. So, but whenever you go head to head with a wholesaler or, you know, a wholesaler who's trying to buy the house or a flipper who's trying to buy the house or somebody that's trying to hold it as a rental property or trying to buy the house. And then we step in and we're able to offer a solution like this and I can give them a cash offer and I can tell them exactly what the cash offer is that they're going to get. They remember you on the appointment. So because you offered to pay them more. And you offered more solutions and seemed more buttoned up than somebody else. And so it just, it portrays a different aura. You know, if you're going up against wholesalers, it's amazing because you get the opportunity to stand out and you can probably still buy the house cash because 
Sarah, the seller, still remembers you because you gave her two options. And one guy didn't know how to do anything than offer 60 cents on the dollar. Very cool. Very cool. And when you're doing these deals, how long does it take to close the transaction? Are you in a typical scenario where it's going to take, let's call it 30 to 45 days in today's market? Are you ordering appraisals? Are you getting the title work done? Are you taking that normal, uh, you know, all the normal steps that you would on a traditionally financed transaction? Yes. Imagine just like if anybody's ever bought a house, it's the exact same process. So attorney still handles it. If you look at the HUD, there's a uh, there's a line item there. It used to be like line 342 or something. It said uh, 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 home bought subject to. And so it's on the HUD. The attorneys still take care of it. So the cool thing about that is this isn't like, you know, you're not coming up with your own contract or you're not trying to do these deals without still doing all the due diligence. So you know, the transactions most likely won't close in a week or, you know, 10 days. They'll, they'll yeah. take a couple of weeks to close. But by doing that, you're getting clear title. You know that the owner that sell or the, the individual that's selling you the property is the true owner of the property. So they can, they can transfer that title. So you just want to make sure that if you're getting into the space and taking property subject to that, you're not trying to take any shortcuts or, or skip any of the steps you still really want to make sure that uh, everything is done properly. You're going to have a, a title company, an attorney that's going to make sure that the owner is really the owner. You're probably not going to order an appraisal on the property because you should be an expert or an aspiring expert in the area that you're uh, yeah. buying these houses. Just call me if the debt's do do- 3%. I'll take it. So I barely need yeah, to know what it's worth. So, <laughs> Well, that's, I mean, that's such a huge thing in today's world. And you know, we hear about it on the news all the time as buyers, or I'm sorry, sellers and potential buyers are really stuck. You know, it'd be really hard for me to sell my house at a, you know, I've got a 2.75% mortgage. I'll never want to get rid of that mortgage in my entire life. I'm going to keep that until I pay it off. Yeah. So yeah, so it's one of these things that there are so many loans out there that have such low interest rates. And it just opens up, you know, the world for guys that are purchasing property subject to mortgages. And, you know, exactly like you said, as you know, the bank might call the loan due, you know, your percentages were one in a hundred, um, would call the, the loan due. And if you could, if you could hold on to that loan for a couple of years at 3%, I, I just feel like it's a win-win. And if you're getting that equity. Oh yeah. I mean, we didn't even touch on like, imagine what the debt pay down is on a mortgage that's 10 years old at 3%. And then imagine what the debt pay down is on a brand new mortgage at 10%. It's basically nothing on the 10% loan for seven years, but on a 10% loan that's uh, three, on a, on a 10 year old loan that's at 3%, that equity spread just grows over time. That's because you have a heavy, heavier principal pay down than you do on the new loan. And so your wealth just increases. And like the reason why I'm so fortunate that like somebody introduced this to me. And there's a lot of like chatter out there because Pace Morby's done an amazing job of like bringing awareness to this. But people, I would encourage more people to actually act on it and do it because a lot of my apprentices have been in sub two. Um, and they, I don't know why they haven't necessarily done anything with it yet, but it's just getting into this space. It is hard to take a deal that you can make 20, 30 grand on, maybe wholesaling it and wrap it and only make, you know, maybe five or 10 up front create a $50,000 equity spread and only make 500 bucks a month. 
But once people do five of those and their entire mortgage that they lit their home mortgage is paid for and they're never going to pay for it again, it just becomes life changing. And I'm so thankful, you know, we got into this in late, late 2018 and it was like shooting fish in the barrel buying low equity pre foreclosures because so many of them, the government wasn't helping anybody. And we were just picking up 3% debt everywhere. We were buying uh, nine to 11 sub twos a month. And it was, it almost uh, wrecked our business. We were buying so many because now we had an inventory problem I couldn't fulfill. It's, it's so easy to buy. And so, and a lot of real estate investors think that it's so hard to buy. Truthfully, it's very easy to buy. It's very hard to fulfill. And so, and then it becomes a cash flow issue once you grow a business and employ people. And that's why the reoccurring revenue model has been so important to me, which is, Created through sub two in my world. Yeah, what you're what you're saying too is if you're an if you're a wholesaler that's listening to the podcast, or if you're a, a flipper that's listening to the podcast, just understand that this this model could work ex, you know work for you as well. You know, you could keep your wholesaling business and your flipping business, but you could also expand and have this other you know revenue opportunity by just creating these notes yeah, or man. you know buying yeah. some of the properties creatively and keeping the notes so exactly what, a, right. what a cool thing two silos go so make a that, bunch hey, of money and create your wealth yep and with that i think we're going to go ahead and wrap up the podcast uh, but before we do travis for the guys that are listening to the episode how can they get in touch with you how can they get connected with you i think we put in there a couple different ways. I put in my Calendly link that will go to my calendar. So you'll probably end up with me on there. I have an apprenticeship. And so we let in as long I have about 15 uh, guys and gals that we run with. So as long as we're not full, there's always a vacancy in there um, to where we can take on more people. But my Calendly link and then I'm on YouTube. I started a so I raise a lot of private money for like my deals, fix and flips, walk away and all that stuff. But I also did my journey to 10K. And, you know, I've got my cash flow up to a little bit over 40 now, but I'm going to do like my journey to 10,000 um, in cash flow and 10 to 20 and 20 to 30 and so on and so forth. But I show you guys the actual like my acquisition of the sub two, my sale of the sub two. And so if you're not familiar with this, it might go a little bit over your head. But for those of you that have an idea of what we've been talking about the last 30 minutes, you might... Um, you might enjoy it. It's kind of neat. And it means a lot to me. All right. Me. And I'll post, I'll, I'll definitely post these uh, in the show notes. So if you're on the website, you could find them on the website. If you're on YouTube, you could, you could find them on YouTube. So perfect. Hey, thank you again for jumping on the call today. And oh, yeah, uh, as always, just uh, appreciate you, uh, you spending the time and sharing your wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, guys. Brian saved me a lot of money. If you need some cost eggs, man, y'all better <laughs> do it. So <laughs> it's not about what you make, <laughs> it's about what you keep. Out. So <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Yeah. If you'd like to get connected with today's guest, log on to realestateexplainer.com and click the get connected button on the homepage.